So we're in a series called, uh, Here's the Thing. And I, I love this series because it lets me talk about all sorts of stuff because of the title, Here's the Thing. It's just a great way to introduce different topics. But um, sort of underlying all of it is a verse from Romans 14, 17, where, where Paul tells us, in effect, that, you know, that the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's His righteousness, because of His righteousness, as believers, we should be experiencing in our lives a measure of peace and joy. And when, and when we're not, there's something on our end that we need to address. It's not on his end. It's on our end. So that doesn't mean we're not going to have issues or problems, situations, because that's part of fallen world, broken planet stuff. But um, a settledness because of the fact that he's with us and that we know that he's got us. And so there's something in this life that should have that settledness for us of peace and joy. And when we're not, as I said, there's usually something going on. And... We, we often think, well, if it was just, if I could just deal with this thing, then, then everything would be all right. But it's generally not the thing that we think it is. It's the thing behind the thing that's the issue. And we're starting to look at things behind things. And we've talked about unforgiveness being one of those big things behind the thing. We, last week, we talked about attitude being a thing behind the thing. This week, we're going to talk about uh, a word or a term uh, being a thing behind the thing, but I'm going to have to take some time to explain it to you when I, when I get there. So we're going to talk about religion as being a thing behind the thing. And, and so, you know, hang with me as we get there, and we'll talk about that and what that means. All right, that's the intro. Transition. A recent study, this is very interesting, found that most head lice have mutated. They're now resistant to over-the-counter treatments. This problem has scientists scratching their heads. And now everybody else as they... I've been uh, exercising my eyebrow muscles uh, by raising them high, and uh, you should try it for yourself. You, you'll be surprised. Yeah, I knew that. The last, that just really fell flat last service, but some of my peeps are here this time. I actually had to ask my wife if it was okay to tell this next joke. She said, as long as you apologize to the visitors. So do you want your apology before or after? It's all. <laughs> Poop jokes aren't my favorite jokes, but they're definitely number two. <laughs> Apologies to the visitors once again. <laughs> John chapter 2, here we go. Scripture reading on purpose. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, 
and his disciples put their faith in him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I'm going to take some time to really work through that with you in just a moment, that passage, because there's, there's so many things happening there that it's fascinating, and it, and it really speaks into what we want to talk about. But I need to sort of back up for a moment, because I, I, I think I left you sort of in a spot when I said that the thing behind the thing, which is never a good thing, uh, oftentimes is religion. And, and so we need to define that together and so that we're all on the same page and talk about it. Because I could say, you know, that term and, and you would say, well, I thought religion was a good thing. You, in the Bible, in James 1, it, it says pure religion and undefiled. It's to visit the widows and the orphans and their afflictions and those things. And that's certainly true. It, it has a, a good thing to it, attached to it. However, I would say that most of the time... Um, what religion is, or what we believe it is, is not something that's a, it's a good thing. It has a, a definite uh, sort of negative impact in our lives. And um, I know that because of this. So like, uh, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say something like, well, this person is very religious. Now, I have to try and figure out if they're telling me this is a good thing or a bad thing. And so you have to kind of listen deep because it means so many different things to so many different people. And, and so... Uh, because uh, it, you know, could be a good thing. They go, oh, they, that's just their term for it. Or it could be uh, not such a good thing. Because like, when I think of religious people, I always think of the Pharisees. And that's not a great group. I always think that's what it means and that's who Jesus was dealing with. And so I have to realize that sometimes we're operating at sort of different understandings of the term. So I want to define religion uh, for us today so we have a, const you know, a common thing that we're working with. And I also want to tell you that that religion is not the way to God, and that we make sure that that's a big definite and understood in our lives. So here's a definition for you. Religion is any set of beliefs and behaviors that we believe bridge the gap between us and God. Religion, any set of beliefs and behaviors that we believe bridge the gap between us and God. And, you know, the gap that exists between us and God is because of our sin. He's perfect. We're not. Issues are there. We talk about that all the time. But what we start to sort of believe over time generally is there's a list of things. And if we do these things and these things and don't do these things and we believe these things and we get all this stuff right, we can I check them off a list, then, then we're okay, that God and I are okay. And it's, it's fascinating, too, because most of us who came to Christ in our lives... It might be slightly different, although it certainly applies to you if you sort of grew up in, in the, you know, in a relationship, but, uh, and, you know, came to that spot. But for those of us who made a radical shift into this, in the beginning, you know, the realization of, of our need for grace and mercy and forgiveness and, and how it was completely freely given and not earned by us at all was huge. But shortly after, and this impacts almost everybody, we start thinking that now we have to earn it, that we have to work for it, that this relationship is going to be about me sort of figuring it all out and doing, you know, doing the rules and having these regulations in place, and that's how it's going to work. And the problem is that part's a trick. It's a trap. It's the enemy trying to pull us away from life by trying to get us just to be sort of rule followers instead of engaging in relationship and maintaining that relationship with God. See, at some level, we think it's easier. People will ask me all the time this when they come into this thing. Okay, now tell me the rules. What are the things I have to do? 
And I, I well, I can't tell you the rules. What you have to do is just continue to press in to Jesus. And you need to learn to, you know, to pray and to hang on to him and to listen and to be led by the Holy Spirit and to allow him to show you what needs to get worked out in your life because that's where you find life. But it's easier. People think, no, no, I don't want that. Just give me a list. And, and see, it doesn't work. And, and yet, it's what we tend to turn to. And historically, you can read, it's what happens. The Pharisees in and of themselves were not bad people. When they started out, they really started out to protect Judaism and the scriptures from being changed by um, the Greeks who were changing everything. And, and they quickly morphed into these people that were just so rigid and hanging on these rules that they were blocking people from coming to God, even though they represented sort of religion at the time. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he's, he comes in and he really tries to undo that whole religious system because it doesn't work and it's not what he wanted in place. He tells his parable in Luke 18. 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. I love that. Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees who were those people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get, but the Tax collector stood at the distance. He, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus, Jesus said the tax collector was the one who was more righteous when they left. Remember, too, tax collectors were the worst of the worst. There was, there was a label for there were sinners and tax collectors. So they're like the really bad ones. And yet in this scenario, Jesus said, it's not the sort of self-righteous looking, I've got all this figured out, people that had it. It was the one who knew how much and desperately he needed the Lord in our lives. So what religion does is when we start following these rules, these set of beliefs and practices that we think are bridging the gap between us and God, what we end up getting then is our security by comparison we start comparing ourselves to other folks. Well, I don't do that, and I don't act like that, and I don't live like that, and so because of that, I'm okay. I've got the right set of things going on. And, and then, you know, to make it worse, you, you have all these set of things you're trying to follow, and you can't even follow them, and so you feel guilty all the time, and you can't talk to it about anybody because everybody else then in that group would just kick you out if they knew that you were really struggling with that, even though they really are, and it becomes this big mess. And, and so it just sort of leaves us feeling guilty and frustrated or prideful or some wicked combination of all those things. And that's the sort of issue that we face, and that's what we deal with. And, and so Jesus comes to just destroy that type of thinking. That's, he's trying to flip it upside down. You'll, hear, you'll read all the time in the Scripture, Jesus will say things like, You have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's saying is the, the way the religious people have taught you is this, but, and he will completely undo it. And that's what's going on in that scripture reading that I gave you. And it's so important to catch this because, see, this is the first sign. This is how he introduces himself to everybody. This is, if you were launching a product or something, you would go all in when you get started. Big deal. And he's, so he's going to do a big miracle to get going. And you go, what's he, he's going to heal people? No. Is he going to feed people? No. What's he going to do? He's going to turn water into wine. Huh. Why? Let's find out why. Okay, so here's what happens. First thing we know is, uh, if, you, if you read through that passage again, this wedding takes place in Cana. Jesus' mom is there. We're not sure why she was there, but she was there. 
Jesus and his disciples are also there. At this point, four or five disciples. He hasn't gathered the whole group yet. They're all hanging out. They've been invited. And when you read about a wedding, you know, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, it's always a picture of a, a wedding that we're waiting for. You know, at some point, Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming back for the church, the bride. And there's going to be a big celebration and a big banquet. And we're, we're all waiting for that to happen. So that's always there in the process. And, and uh, so, you know, whenever we see Jesus at, at eating at tables and all those things, he's sort of, it's a picture of what we're waiting for in the process. So he's at a wedding. Something happens. The wine was gone. Now, in our culture, we would just think, okay, they, they shut the bar down, not a big deal. But it's a big deal back then, and um, we need to figure out why. So th this marriage uh, celebration, the feast, the banquet, would go on for seven days usually. Three days sometimes, but seven days usually. And it was a big deal, and the groom was responsible to make sure that there was enough wine and everything else at this celebration to last. This was a huge event. And socially, to run out of wine would, would be like this, the biggest faux pas. It would bring shame on your entire family that you would never get over in that culture. It was a really significant deal. And so when the wine, wine runs out, everybody's talking about it. Is it just be the conversation? Can you believe the, the wine has run out? This is horrible. And they start to feel bad for, for what's going on. I'm sure, you know, uh, Jesus' mother at that point is feeling bad for the situation. So she goes to Jesus and says, you know, they have no more wine. Now, listen, it's conversation. She's not asking Jesus to do a miracle here. Some people think he hasn't done any yet. Now, she knows how she came about Jesus, so she, she gets some stuff. You know, she knows it's not like she's per impervious to that idea. So maybe she's feeling mad a little, but he hasn't done any miracles yet, but it's, she's Jesus, and he goes, can you do anything about this? The shame for these people is so strong. I, I just feel bad for them. Is there anything you can do? And... and um, Jesus, you know, what he says is, why are you involving me? My time has not yet come. What he's saying there, in effect, is this isn't my wedding. When it's mine, it's going to be really cool, and that's coming. Everybody's going to be really happy, and, and, you know, when that's coming, and we're looking forward to that, and I'll take care of that one, this isn't mine. Why, why are you asking me to do it? And, and yet she, she doesn't know that all those things are coming, so she says, you know, is there anything you can do? And she looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he, he asks you to do. And so Jesus says, Okay, here's what you're going to do. Now, when you're reading the scripture and you come across a verse that's seemingly out of place because all of a sudden it's just filled with detail and all sorts of stuff, and you think, well, that's, that's a strange amount of detail there. Um, you need to sort of zero in because it means something. Everything is in there for a reason. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Doesn't it seem like a lot of detail in the middle of that story? You get all of a sudden how that, well, that's... That's a lot. Well, what's going on there? Well, um, the, the six pots there, they're used to hold uh, the ritual water, the holy water, in effect, what they had, that they would um, cleanse with before every meal. And it was sort of a picture of what they did. It had become a ritual in their lives. Six is significant because seven in the scripture is a number of completion. And when it's six, it means it's not quite complete. And so what they were doing, their rituals weren't quite complete. Now, that was going on in the process. 20 or 30 gallons We'll get to that one in just a second. Jesus says to them, fill them up with water, and they fill them up. And then, and they don't know what's going to happen. They think, well, maybe Jesus, the young rabbi, he's going to do some sort of ceremonial washing here to try and help the situation. We have no idea. He says, fill them up. So they do, and they say, okay, take a cup full of the master of the banquet. Now, they've got to think that's weird. Uh, they're, they're taking a, some holy water, in effect, uh, to the wine taster. 
okay, but whatever. So they do it, and the master of the banquet drinks it, and by now it's turned into wine, and he calls the bridegroom up and says, I, I don't know what you've done here, but, but this is, you know, the amazing stuff. You, the, the talk about redemption, the embarrassment was so huge, but now you're redeemed, and it's the, the best possible thing that could have happened. And, and John says, this is the first of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And by doing so, he revealed his glory. His disciples put their faith in him. What did he do? What's going on? Here's what you need to think about. First, when he turns the water into wine, in effect what he does is he's sort of showing them that the, their, their religious tradition couldn't do it. Um, it's almost as if he's saying those stone pots can't do anything for you. All they do is can remind you of your sin every time you wash. It's just a constant reminder of the fact that you, you're not, you, know, you don't have it together. And then he, he takes that whole thing and he makes it new in the process by turning that water into wine. And then the second thing, and this is the big thing, this is what I think made the disciples go, okay, we're in all the way. So the groom and his entire family, completely shamed and embarrassed, uh, what should have been a great day is a horrible day, and he completely takes away their shame completely undoes their shame. And by providing these, so this is where the other details, so there's 20 or 30 gallon pots, six of them, it's 120 or 180 gallons in my head, that's math. That's, that's a lot of the best wine that this guy has ever tasted. There's no way they would drink all of that wine at that wedding. So there's going to be this amazing wine left over. Guess what they do? They could sell that, and they could pay for the wedding, and they get all set up as they move forward in the process. So Jesus really provides for them in a very extravagant way. First point. Wow, it took me a long time. Jesus gives us real life. See, that's what he does. He takes away our shame, and he gives us real, abundant, amazing life. That was the first sign that Jesus did. And what he wanted us to see in the process is that religion stuff can't get you where you need to go. But I can. That's Christianity. That's what we have. We have a relationship with Jesus. It's not a bunch of rules that we follow. It's relationship. It's yielding to the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not a thing that, you know, we can just do whatever we want. Of course not. But it's not about, you know, just trying to exteriorly figure everything out on the outside. It's, it, it's about a change that happens on the inside. And it's a change that the Holy Spirit does. Because if we could do it, we'd take credit for it. But we can't. He does it. He changes us. Any change has happened over time, like in my own life, I know that all the good stuff is from Him. And the other stuff is stuff that I'm hanging on to. I haven't let it go yet. And, and that's my struggle, right? So, so Jesus brings Himself into this process, and He provides for us full and abundant life, amazing life. He gives it abundantly, John 10, 10. You know this verse, because we talk about it all the time. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he wants us to experience this full and abundant, amazing life. The enemy wants to steal it from you, and he will. one of the ways he will do that is to just twist everything a little bit, get you walking so that you're not just understanding your constant need for grace and mercy and somehow making yourself figure, think that you've got it figured out because of what you're doing. And there's no life there. So what we have to look at, secondly, is what are my stone pots? What are the things in my life that desperately need the new wine of Jesus, that need the new life that he brings? What are the dead things that I'm lugging around through this life that, that aren't bringing me life? In fact, they're stealing it from me. A stone pot full of water, probably pretty heavy, right? 30, 30 gallons, do the math, eight, uh, 250 pounds, a lot of baggage you're carrying around. 
So what are they? And, and we have to ask ourselves, because what they're doing is they're not giving us life. They're just creating guilt and confusion and problems. And, and, and it's, it's this big, huge mess that we have going on. Six stone water jars. What, what are we carrying there? What do we need Jesus to come in? What, what things would, would he, if we invited him into, would he come into and bring life that would make a real difference for us? And I can't name them for you because you have to figure that out because you know, everybody's are different. You, you know, and I want to be careful that I don't. But I, Alice and I were, were chatting earlier and we, we thought about this story. So years ago when we first started in the ministry, um, uh, you know, I was not the amazingly polished person that I am now. So, so I was a little rough around the edges, you know, and, and Alice would certainly agree with that. And I, just, I know I still am. But we had this sweet couple in our church, and, 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 uh, and so, you know, uh, we came into this thing after being way out there in a mess and, and the, the grace, and but, but rough. Um, this couple was at church, and they were sweet. And they'd been involved in this walk their entire lives. Sweet couple. We loved them to pieces. And they loved us, and they would sometimes watch, watch our kids and everything, and, and they were great. So I'm up talking one time. Uh, I'm preaching, and, and they were up. They were sitting. They'd always sit real close uh, to me. Uh, and so I'm talking, and I, I kind of just say offhandedly, you know, "Amazing Grace" is such a neat song. You can sing it to virtually any tune. And I said, like Gilligan's Island, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see." I'd have probably been okay if I stopped there with her, <laughs> but then I went. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, bright, shining as the sun, with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire. Well, I thought it was funny, but it was not to her. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I offended her, I could tell. So, you know, and I had to go make her, and she was very gracious, and she forgave me and everything. But, but sometimes we're hanging on to things. I only say that sometimes we're hanging on to things, and... and probably too tightly, and we need to look at them, and why am I hanging on to this, and is it bringing me life, or am I just stuck in there? I'm always, I find those things in my life all the time, that I've been carrying around for a while that really aren't life-giving. In fact, they're, they're stealing away, because here's what happens. Third, we have to know that Jesus is our only bridge. Jesus is our only bridge. We put a picture of a bridge up just briefly, and that's good. Leave it off. The, um, so on the Facebook, you can take it back down. On the Facebook this week, I, I did a little ad, and we were driving across the bridge, a video of the bridge, and I said, you know, what is the bridge, and uh, here's the thing four have to do. Well, here, this is important. All right. So I said, religion is us trying to build a bridge to, to get between that gap between us and God. But here's what you got to know, and, and here's what happens, is this. Religion never builds the bridge that we wanted to build, and what it does build is walls. It doesn't build bridges. It builds walls. And it builds a wall between us and God. And it builds a wall between us and other people. And if you remember what Jesus said when asked what's the most important, love God, love others. And religion will keep you from doing both. So who do you think's behind it? The stuff that I'm talking about. So, so you have to kind of get into what am I carrying around with me that I don't need to carry around any longer? And what do I need Jesus to like, you know, breathe into and speak into and move into so that I can have life? And, and this life that we have, you know, we want to add to it all the time. It, we, we come into this by its grace and faith and we get it and then we want to add to it. And, 
you don't add to it. When Last week we looked at the Philippian jailer. Remember, Paul was in prison. And he was singing, and, and the, the earthquake happened, and all the chains fell off, and the Philippian jailer went running in, and everybody was still there, and he was so grateful. He says, what do I have to do to be saved? And you know what Paul said? Well, here's the list of rules of things that you have to do, and here's the rights and the wrongs, and here's everything you have to go to. No, he just said, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. He didn't add anything to that. When Jesus was crucified, there was a couple guys crucified with him, right? One guy makes it into paradise. What's he do? He just repents. He doesn't have time to earn it. You couldn't have. But we think because we got some time that that's what happens. See, and that's where we get in trouble. And that's what we have to look at because when we take those things on, the minute we start taking those things on, we, we stop having the life that's attractive to other people and we start judging them and we get all these walls up between them and God and, and we just have to know that he's the way. He's the bridge. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's it. He's the bridge. And then sort of remember, you know, Ephesians 2, 8. Grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Life with Jesus is, is life-giving. It's full. It's abundant. He takes away our shame and embarrassment from all our mess. And he gives us life. The enemy is trying to steal it from you. Don't let it. And so think about that. This week, just kind of take some time to think about, you know, what are the stone pots I'm carrying around? And ask Jesus to just come in and change them. Just totally redo them. Make them something new. Because that's what he does. And those are the kind of miracles he's up to in our lives. I'm going to stop it there because I went long already. Ministry team, why don't you head over to the wall? People on the way over there are here to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. They'll make sure you get it, but let me pray for you as a group, and then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us and your love for us, for the life that you have made possible for us to experience now and forever. And Lord, as we live this life out in you, let it not only impact us, but impact the world around us for you, that you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area that hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. And we ask, God, for your continued abundant blessing on us to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. One more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, the folks over there will pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then believe on Him. You'll be saved. That, that's what we do. See, we, we just come in humility and faith, and in humility we, we realize we've we got this gap that we can't fix, and we ask him to forgive us, which he does. And then in faith, we invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, to be the bridge. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, do it today or go ask somebody. Say, I want to know Jesus. They'll help you. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay in our breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible. Draw people into the 11 o'clock service, Lord. You're such an awesome God. Praise God from whom.
bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to death. Prayer's over there. Breakfast is in the back. As you go, drive safely. Let your gentleness be evident all in the parking lot. It's a beautiful day. Get out there, catch some fish. Hope your team wins. See you later. Bye.